Well, Freddie T, looks like it's just me and you to kick off the show. It's Thanksgiving holidays. It's time for people to get fat. And we actually are going to take a break. I know, man, we shoot them a show every Tuesday and Friday. I mean, it's the, it's the Zubakowski model, <laughs> you know? But today, man, we're just going to give them some highlights, kind of go back through what we've done yeah. this entire season. But before we get there, I just want you to tell me, man, what do the holidays mean to you? and what makes family so important during yeah, this time. It's just me and you. That's what the pivot is all about. You got to make it go, man. <laughs> that Zubikowski model, man, uh, it's a grind. But I think we built for it. The holidays, you know what, man? A couple years ago, um, I just liked for the holidays just to speed up. Because mm. around holiday season, everything just slows down. And it's like this, you know, uh, repetitive nature. And um, I started hating the holidays. Mm. Yeah. And then most recently dealing with my grandmother, I realized exactly how important, you know, being with family and spending that family time is. So this year I'm going to cherish the holidays a lot more than I have in the past. Doesn't mean I'm going to eat all the food in the house, you know, but I'll enjoy uh, those moments looking around, being able to smile, looking at my kids, seeing them growing up over the years, just reflecting on memories, looking at photos of myself, my grandmother, you know, my mom, sisters, and brothers who I won't be close to, but we will be on the phone and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'm glad I have a renewed spirit for the holidays, for sure. How about you? Man, for me, man, every day above ground is a blessing. Uh, pants are really tight right now. <laughs> so this is a bad time for, um, for Thanksgiving to fall. So I'm going to try to be a little smart. I think it's always been about family. Uh, I don't really necessarily know if I need a day to mm. commemorate it. But I, I think that's what's, that is the good part about the world right. slowing down because sometimes because we're all moving so fast, because we're kind of just living around each other, you don't get an opportunity to, to sit down, really break bread. Like I can't remember the last time other than the holiday that my family sat down at a kitchen table. Right. Or we sat down and actually put the phones down and had conversation. And so I think that that's always a, a good part of the holidays. And for me, it's about being able to truly be grateful for the blessings, you know, to be able to move people around and have people be in different states and different spots so they can come together. You don't do that without opportunities to be able to provide. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, you know, that's what it's about, the ability to give my family the space to do certain things. I think that's why we all work. That's what God made us for as men, you know, so I'm grateful for that. I think other than that, man, I just like, Shoot, I just like the fact, bro, that like I get to move around the holidays, though, in the sense of like I'm still working. Right. Right. You still working. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's the I think that's the dope part is it's like for, for us, we got to do things that the holidays can't stop because it's part of like fake ball football. Right. Yeah. Right. You've yeah. played on Thursdays. You've played on Christmases. You've played on New Year's Eve's and, and New Actually, Year's. Actually, I didn't play on a Thursday. You never well, played on Thursday, Thursday night football, yes. Yeah. But for the holidays, yeah. I never had an opportunity to play. And I guess well, nobody most wanted teams to put don't. Nobody it's... wanted to put Jacksonville on TV. What? Hold you up, know, bro. And two, y'all wasn't going to play Detroit or, <laughs> or, or Dallas. Dallas. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? So, that, so that's Mostly what it was. NFC teams, right? Yeah, so Most... that's what it was, was yeah. for y'all. I, I mean, we played... Back. We played a night game against the Ravens, but you know, it's those big rivalries with the really good teams that normally All right, let get... me go back to this whole holiday thing. <laughs> you mentioned um, sitting around the table. 
you know, most, I know in most black households, we got that one sacred room that is just a decorated room you never go in and eat in, the dining room. Mm -hmm. Do you guys sit around the table and eat dinner on um, holidays? No, so, so normally, so I've always hosted Thanksgiving. Like even when I was in Pittsburgh, my family would fly up, cook and whatever. Um, you kind of just sit everywhere. Right. You know, but like the table at my, at my house, I live in Louisiana, the table only opens up for Thanksgiving. Like you can only go in that room on Thanksgiving and actually sit down with the plate. Most of the other times you see it, it's just in a picture. It's just a photo, it's just, 10 chairs, <laughs> yeah, empty. It's just, a, it's just a photo, but that's what's, I mean, I think culturally, like so many things are unique about us. And I think the holidays are a time to experience it. Uh, we miss Chan, Chan's actually with his family spending Thanksgiving mm -hmm. in New York. And guys also, Black Friday, we got a drop, it's for the pivot. We really want to give you guys some new merch. We want you to get some of the stuff that we wear here now on the show. All gratitude from us. Happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays. And now we're just going to look back on some of the biggest pivots of our guests throughout the entire season. Some of those pivotal moments that they feel like made them exactly who they are. It's Freddie T's question. It's the best question to me on the show. Remember, go to the site pick up the merch, more importantly, enjoy our holiday show. Hold up, name of the show is The Pivot, is what has been their biggest pivot in life? What has been that moment that helped shape Chris Paul? What is that moment that changed your life, whether good or bad, that you'll never forget? And being that you're an author now and your book 61 comes out on June 20th, we know some of the events that have gone on in your life, but the floor is yours just to say and talk about something that helped make you Dang, that's a deep question. That's, it gets to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tough because, I mean, I've been there for the birth of both of my kids. My wife is unreal. She the strongest. She, she everything in our family. I'm thinking about, like, the death of my grandfather, you know, and how that just seems prevalent because even now, 20 years later, I still, I just work, right? Just do the work. My wife out of town with some of our homegirls, my kids. We left the house this morning at like 7.30 to take them to school. But I was up in the gym at 5.15, you know what I mean? Like working out. And I just think about doing the work. I don't know. And people, some people may say why or whatnot, but I just think about, like, even when I was growing up and it might be a party or something like that going on and some people go and they say, why you ain't going? I always say, like, I want to enjoy things maybe later in life, right? Because doing the work, it's just always been about that. And so, I don't know. Probably as I get older, the word gratitude just means more and more to me. Just appreciate my family. And then I'll tell you this, this is crazy that you said that, is that I've always been a people pleaser, right? Always, just always like a people pleaser. And that's like, I've always had a hard time saying no, right? to this or that, you know, show up here. All right, I got you, this, that, and the other. But the biggest thing I've been trying to work on is showing up for the people who show up for me, right? 
Like, I let people do me dirty for so long, talk crazy about me, still show up for them, still do that. But it's just, just recently, I had a conversation with my wife. It's like, I'm done. I'm done with that. And so probably just the pivot is investing more time in those who, uh, who, who deserve it. On our show, obviously, the pivot, we like to ask our guests, what's your biggest pivot in life? Of everything we've talked about, you know, from rap, coming up, doing knucklehead shit in the street, becoming a man, you know, losing loved ones, um, having success, just everything that we've talked about, everything you've gone through in your life. What's been that one moment, that one defining moment that, you know, um, you can consider the most pivotal moment in your life? One day I was sitting in the house and my oldest daughter, Diana, had like ran past me. Like, kind of was like in my peripheral, it was her and cheese at the crib. And uh, it was kind of like, and then I just sat there and I looked at both of them. And right then and there, I asked myself, like, what the fuck is you doing? You got fucking kids out here, man. You got whole responsibilities out here, man. And you run around here throwing fucking rocks at the penitentiary, man. Mm. What the fuck are you doing, man? That was the day that changed my life, that I pivoted. I was like, yo, man, you, you got to smarten up out here. You tripping, man. So then the, the wildness went from this level to this level. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then as the wildness, then it was, became, man, I got to cut certain niggas out of my circle, man. You know what I mean? No, I ain't into that type shit no more, man. Right. No, I don't, no. No, man, them niggas, what them niggas doing? Them niggas, about, them niggas trying to get indicted, man. No, I'm good, man. I ain't. Yeah. I just separated myself away from the bullshit. You know what I mean? And it was really from around street niggas. I just started surrounding myself around good people. Mm -hmm. Feel what I'm saying? Right. Niggas that didn't operate off of egos. You ain't gotta worry about a motherfucker backdooring you. You ain't gotta worry about a motherfucker counting your money. You ain't gotta worry about a motherfucker worrying about, well, you got that watch and I got this watch. And, and then when you start doing that, then the energy changes. And then once the energy change, opportunity change. Because it was like once I, once I, I changed the aggressiveness and I changed the energy, it was like this cloud just left me. Like, all right, nigga, we was here long enough. We was waiting for you to smarten up, nigga. We was tired of raining on your motherfucking parade, man. You, okay, you get it now, all right. And it was like the cloud left. It was like, I've been doing something right. Right. I love it. Then the other pivot was when we pivoted in a million dollars worth of game. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Hell of a pivot. Usually, we ask all of our guests the biggest pivot in their lives. So 36 years ago, you were 18 then. Mm -hmm. um, would you say 
that particular moment when he wasn't home, uh, would that be your biggest pivot? Nah, not at all. You know, that was, you know, moment in time. You know, I think my bi- my biggest pivot was I used to play football too. Play what position? F- fullback and linebacker, outside oh. linebacker. Mm-hmm. And I stopped playing that to hang out with Dr. Dre. You know, uh, I, I quit the team. Well, it wasn't fun no more uh, because I wasn't trying to, I wasn't thinking about I'm playing football to go to college right. mm-hmm. to play in the pros. I was playing football because it was fun. I like to play football. The coaches was just way too serious. You know what I mean? They was just way too serious for me. They were so worried about their job. wasn't fun. So I was on the fence. And then I got into the music. I met Dr. Dre. We just hit it off, you know, always running creative ideas by each other. And and we was both serious about hip-hop. And so I chose to quit the team in 11th grade and, and go hang with him. And that's my biggest pivot. You have to tell us what your biggest pivot in life has been. What's that, that one moment that you can always, that you can point to and say this either changed me, this affected me, this moved me in a certain way. Oh yeah, that's easy. Ah, there's two, two pivots. Uh, uh, I have sick basketball moves, I'm pivoting twice. <laughs> Hawk said you taught him using Allen Iverson I tape. did, I did. I, I've always used basketball terms because I think people, the, the terms like a crossover, you make someone crossover and they naturally get in a release pattern. I used drop step too. January 4th, 2016, when I stopped drinking. That has been monumental. Again, um, things were happening in life and I wanted to dictate the terms. And I recognized, I mean, shoot, I, I had alcohol every day, but I realized that I was not addressing problems and running from them and hurting my wife at the time, so I stopped. And then when I stopped doing that, that control. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Maybe focus on doing my job and only my job. And that's when I started getting promoted. That's when it finally took off. And then October 2nd, 2020, when um, my daughter was born. So we'd been married for five or six years, been together for a while, and we didn't think it was in the cards. We couldn't get pregnant. We did fertility uh, testing on both sides. And then push come to shove is actually Kyle Shanahan's wife. Mandy Shanahan was with my wife one day where I was at work and she like keeled over and threw up 
from like menstruation pain. Mandy was like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, oh no, this just happens once in a while. And Mandy was like, that is not right. They went to see this specialist. I, had, I was making enough money at the time. Um, I was running game coordinator so I could afford an exploratory surgery. Turns out she had endometriosis, got that clear, cleared out. Then the day before we left for the Super Bowl, um, San Fran against Kansas City. Like, wasn't even thinking, like, had gone through the whole thing. And it was a big deal to me because, you know, I wanted to be a dad. I had a, I had a lot of a bone to pick in my life about to rectify that. And it wasn't in the cards. And all of a sudden, randomly, oh, she's pregnant. What? And I tell you what, like, everything that people say about fatherhood and being a parent, like, like yeah, I get it. And it doesn't even do it justice. I mean, it's been the most fulfilling, cool, daily thing. It doesn't even do it justice. It, it is everything, everything to me. Um, that girl, new words, her, her, her moods, the, the things that she, I mean, they say some crazy stuff, so innocent. I just hadn't been around it. I didn't have any siblings. These little kids have, are so happy with just what it is. Mm -hmm. And like, how do we lose that in our journey? Like, we shouldn't, but we should gain that back when we witness that because it's just like the beauty of like a human being with no scars Mm -hmm. When their world, it's okay for it just to be mom and dad, they don't need it to be bigger. All of the insecurities and all of the things that come as we grow, it's just pure. And it's so, so beautiful. I'm going to be a psychopath. <laughs> First of all, my, money, my wallet already has a hole in it. <laughs> Second of all, these dudes that are trying to date her, in her teenage years, man, you better believe I'm gonna have the most goony of goons on our football team. <laughs> Show up in a wife beater and flex on somebody. <laughs>。Up on a year though where、uh, Robert Hubler passed、mm -hmm. is last July,、mm -hmm. and he essentially saved your life.、Mm -hmm. And、um, you know, you've told the story before, and the relationship that you continue to keep with him. When you, but when you think back to that day, what it was, was it like '94? Yeah. 90, yeah. When, when you, when you think back to that day and, and what he, what he did for you, man, I would just love for you to get an opportunity on this platform. To just to just give him some praise, man, for not waiting on ambulance. And first、uh, of all, picking up a young cat, man. Man, what? And man, first he was off duty.、Mm. He was off duty, and so he said, yeah, he admitted, he was like, I was being nosy. You know, he was like, I was off duty, but you know, it came through my, you know, came through his radio or dispatch or whatever, and he heard it was the spot. You know, that's his. He felt like, man, that's my spot. You know what I mean? Like I, I know everybody in that kind of damn complex. Uncle Bob. Yeah. So he was like, who the hell? He was like, who the hell? And got shot over there. So that's why he said, that's why he even came over there. 
And when he got up there, he, I'm laying down. He was like, I see you laying down at the door. And I was like, I'm expecting to see four or five more bodies because why they let, why they ain't picking you up? And that's when, you know, he, that New Orleans, you know, you got to be that New Orleans came out and right there at the door, like, what the fuck you mean? <laughs> he woke me up. See, really? if I was coking out, he woke my ass up. He woke me all the way up. I was always messing with him, though, because uh, he got a, a bad thing. He had one bad leg or whatever thing. One of his legs was fucked. I was always like, Uncle Bob, you be talking that shit. You just couldn't, you just couldn't crawl. You couldn't jump over my head. That's why you stopped right there. You know, I can't go no fucking more. What? Man, what about that? He got me, picked me up. He did. He said that there. He told me something that I never knew. I never knew. He said, nah. He said, we said the ambulance with that, Wayne. Really? Yeah, yeah, I never knew that. He said the ambulance with that. He said they hadn't. He said they got this dumbass. Now that we all know the, you know, general, we all know the rule. But he's like, they got the three, the three tries. Whatever he said, they had they went through their three tries. It was done. Really? Oh God, I never knew that. I had to. I had to. That was. I met. That was me sitting down talking to him to find that out. Yeah, he was. And like, so and so he scooped you after that. Yeah, because he was like, look, he, he saw that I was. You know, I guess I, I don't know if I had my eyes open or whatever. Or I was reacting, but I was clearly awake. I could hear him talking and shit. Mm -hmm. And so he must have you know, like, what you mean he ain't dead? You know what I mean, so he brought me straight to the bus through it, through the emergency room, through the waiting room. Yeah. I had everybody in the waiting room at my at my at my hospital room after I, you know, after they passed me up and shit to people. I don't know, just like a line. It was coming up, baby. Just want to see if you made it. <laughs> That's New Orleans, you though. You already know. Yeah. <laughs> come through that with you like that in his hands. I ain't think you would. I'm just glad you, yeah, I'm glad you <laughs> made it, bitch. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> Mina Kimes, and this is your last question. <laughs> okay. What is your biggest pivot? What moment? in your life do you remember whether it was an adverse moment, whether it was some a success that made you feel a certain way, but the moment where you said, okay, I have to take this and grow from it, and this will allow me to be better going forward? You know, it's kind of when I realized that I could be myself on television. I thought I had to be polished. I'm thinking about women on TV are polished. I'm not polished, Ryan, you know that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I was like, I don't really look like everyone on TV and I've seen and I'm doing a job that women don't do or whatever. And so I gotta really like, you know, make sure it's like pretty like polished and buttoned up and I don't fuck up like we've been talking about. And I don't laugh my weird ass laugh and I don't make dumb jokes. And at a certain point, I just got tired of trying to be what I thought a woman on TV was supposed to be, and I just started being myself. The same, you know, the person you talk to offline is, I don't think it's that different from- you cuss less. <laughs> okay, I guess I cuss less. <laughs> but other than that, it's pretty the same. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Once I realized that is really when stuff started to take off a little bit for me, honestly. Because I think people just kind of want you to be yourself. Your grandfather, who passed last year and yeah. sorry, you know, about that. that. He coach. lived a good life. He was he was a good man. Yeah, you know, coach, you know, John McVay, he's an executive with the 49ers, part of those those five championships. And you mentioned just how much he meant to you, yeah. how much you learned from him. But also, I love the awareness of like, nah, like I could get in different rooms because of who my grandfather is. Totally. When you think about his legacy, how proud are you to continue that 
you know, I don't take that responsibility lightly, you know, and I think the one thing that's consistent is just the way that he was through it all, because before, you know, he won five, he, he was a part of all five championships for the Niners. But he also was a coach, you know, so he was a high school coach, college coach. He was actually a coach of the Giants when yeah, they had the, the miracle at the Meadowlands, you know, and that ended up leading to him transitioning into personnel and different things like that. But man, he was just steady. He was consistent. And I think like when you always knew what to expect of like somebody, you know, you're like, you can really appreciate that. Like, I, I think consistency is the truest measurement of performance. And this guy was as consistent as it gets. And he was just a good man. He, he respected people, you know, and he treated people the same. It wasn't like, all right, I'm gonna treat Bill Walsh great, but not necessarily these interns. Like, the stories that I get from people that now are, um, you know, in positions in the NFL that they had experiences with him when they were younger guys coming up, um, it's all the same. The way he treated me, the way that he moved, you know, he made situations better. He was a problem solver, didn't make things worse. Um, you know, just a great man, you know, and I think that's something that, you know, you can really appreciate. And he was always figuring out how to make others better. And so self-deprecating and also just, you know, self-deflecting where it didn't ever really want the credit. Um, but he was a really, it was cool. Even going to his funeral, Eddie DeBartolo came and it, we just had it as a family situation. And, you know, Eddie comes and, and just the, the stories and the way that people consistently talk about him. And, you know, it, you can't fake that kind of stuff. And so... That is where you're saying, man, like, let's make sure we honor those that set the legacy the right way. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, the, hey, how do you spell your last name? M-C-V-A-Y or M-C-V-E-Y? He says, you know, we spell it A-Y. Let's always make sure we're doing the things that the A-Y, the, the, the <laughs> pop did, man. And yeah. that's John McVeigh Sr. And uh, what a good man he was. I try to rap a few times, uh -huh. and we usually ask everyone, what's their biggest pivot in life? My biggest pivot? Like, I'm at my best when I was at my worst. Like, I think I was at my worst because we didn't win the national championship. Like, now, like... It's kind of like a reset. It, it is. It is. Especially when people don't think, you know, that we're going to be where we, where, where we were. So, yeah, that's it. I heard something, or I saw something. But you, the way you break football down, you make me think I know what I'm talking about. Emmy nominated, though. Oh, congratulations. Like, you break it down. Now, I couldn't repeat it, but I understand it when you're saying it. Thank you. Gotta ask your biggest pivot to this point in your life. What's been your biggest pivot? My biggest pivot? Mm. I got to say, finding who I am in Christ, I definitely probably have to say the growth that I've made in therapy. And I know you, you said two, but a third, I think the support that I have in my life, because I don't think without the three, any of those three I am, or you see who you are, who you see today, from my girlfriend, to my parents, to my homeboys, you can't tell them nothing. <laughs> they think I'm the baddest dude walking the planet. Yeah. That matters, though. It matters. My dad, you couldn't tell him nothing growing up. To have a father who was there, and sometimes I didn't necessarily believe, he believed I was going to be here no matter what. He thought I was the baddest dude on the planet. For my mother and my village, the prayer warriors that I have in my life, praying over me, 
supporting me, the love of my girlfriend who's going to be there to be that soft spot for me, who doesn't see me as this bigger life figure. I could just be myself, my homies. I think that's truly my, what's been the pivot for me. And I'm excited to see how those all grow. To go through what you went through, not as just a coach, but as a person, and to come through that adversity to be at this point is a story of perseverance, but also will and effort. Just take us back to that time of your life. Yeah, it was a tough start. Like when you, I like that we started there because the reality is that's when my life changed, right? That was when um, you're out of work, you can't get a job, you can't get an interview, you're trying to figure out who you are as a person and you start chopping away and you find out who is close to you and who's supporting you and you lean into those people and you lean into the people that have good intentions for you and you just start trying to find your way. And in 2015, as I came out of that and had gotten fired at USC, gone to recovery, started working on me personally, and then coming out of that, not being able to get a job, somewhere in there, somebody's got an extended olive branch to you. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, I was ready to go do TV. I, I, couldn't, get a, I couldn't get an interview for a job. And uh, Nick Saban saved my career. Wow. And he offered me an analyst job. And I was willing to do it for free. But he said, I got to pay you $30,000 so that you can get benefits. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'm forever indebted to him because at that time, you know, somebody in life has got to give all of us a second chance, right? And um, it totally changed my perspective. It changed my perspective on how I coach, how I deal with our players. Um, because everybody's going through stuff, right? Everybody's got stuff. Whatever that, that your stuff is, you, you just try to get through it. And if I can be that guy that can extend that olive branch to our players as we go through this journey, I always lean back to that time because here's the greatest coach of all time in our era, right? And um, for whatever reason, he saw something in me to give me a chance, to give me a shot. From there, he actually makes me the offensive coordinator for the national championship game against Clemson. And I was an analyst, I wasn't even a coach. I call that game, um, it was an amazing game. Jalen Hurts scrambles and scores. Deshaun Watson goes down, wins the game. Coming out of that game, Dan Quinn offers me the offensive coordinator job with the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm thinking, Kyle Shanahan just goes to the 49ers, I'm gonna go to the Atlanta Falcons. And I go do it for two years. For whatever reason, that didn't work, you know? And I was like, okay, I figured out and I realized again, I'm a pretty good coach. I was gonna stay in the NFL, that was the plan. And uh, I'd actually verbally accepted a job to be an offensive coordinator of the NFL. And guess who called me again? Nick Saban called again. When Nick calls, man, whether you're a player or a coach, it's tough to say no. I called the woman in my life at that time, <laughs> who now is my wife, L'Oreal. And uh, I said, she didn't want me to leave Alabama the first time. And I said, why did you not want me to leave? And she reminded me that he gave me that chance and that I owed him, I went back. And I went back for that very reason. Like I had unfinished business with this man that we didn't accomplish what we set out to do. And two years later, we go win a national championship, an amazing run. I had turned down some jobs along the way and Texas called and it was like, okay, this is the one. This is the one you're supposed to go take because you never know if you're gonna get another one. So you, the one you get, you hope that it's one that you can go achieve greatness and win a championship and build your own legacy. And uh, here we are, man. It's an amazing, been an amazing ride.
Travis, as we wrap right here, man, I wanted to ask you, was 2008 when you transitioned to tight end, mm -hmm. your freshman year at uh, UC, was that your biggest pivot in life? Yeah, the the year that I got kicked out when I came back, that's when they that's moved when, me. Okay. Yeah, because right. I was still doing a little Wildcat QB stuff under uh, Brian Kelly's offense. But I um, when I made that transition to tight end and and the the focus that I had at that point in my life to try and do things the right way, uh, and I really found that routine to to, to find a way to get better, and uh, I found a love to play tight end that I didn't really have at quarterback. There was a there was a lot of nitpicky things that I was like, man, shut up! Why are you why are you worried about this one little foot and the angle that it's at and like where I'm releasing the ball? Like it still got there, you know what I mean? Like I was I was that quarterback. I was like, man, you guys are getting too nitpicky, man. Let's just go out there and ball, <laughs> you know. Ball. And uh, I I realized that that's not that's not the quarterback mentality that you need to have. But at tight end, uh, when I started to figure out and nitpick my game at tight end, I had so much success. Uh, because of the ability I had and, and really being back in the in the in the pocket understanding like man if this guy would have ran that route a little bit more this way he would have been wide open I would have been able to hit him having that feel uh, that transition point that one one thousand percent was probably the the biggest uh, the biggest difference so that year with 100 percent was the probably the pivoting year for sure and your journey to to, to this date uh, what's been your greatest pivot in life? The point that, I guess, changed everything for you? That one moment? It's been a lot of moments, man. You know, I've been blessed and been lucky to really um, get out of a lot of situations that I sh I don't know how I got out of. Mm. When I moved to Kansas City my sophomore year in high school and just seeing how my mom was crying because she didn't want me to go, um, I knew I had to make it worth it. Yeah. You know, I knew, like, if I'm going to leave my mom in Mexico, my sister's toy, my little brother Greg, if I'm going to leave and do this three-year bid in Kansas City, <laughs> like, it's got to be worth it. You know what I mean? And so um, I'll never forget the look on her face when she was crying. And it was like it's more like a family decision. Like, we all sit down, like, if we want to take this next step, if we want to get them, you know, seen by colleges and, you know, have a chance to play, like, we got to make this move. And so seeing her cry the way she did and, um, seeing how hard it was for me, I knew I had to make it worth it. And so that was, I probably, that was my biggest pivot. In sacrificing things for Jackson, Jackson State to yeah. elevate to where it was, part of that was your health. Yeah. When you see the fastest huh. man I've ever seen with the football, fighting through these things, riding in carts, a noticeable limp, and you're still coaching your team, yeah. putting them in, in a situation to where you leave with a higher winning percentage than Eddie Robinson, yeah. the great Eddie Robinson. Where is your health now as you embark on this new journey? Because you got to wow. take care of self too, True. Brian. It's, it's a challenge. Uh, it's a daily challenge. It's a new normal. It'll never be the same. My dream is to one day run. I want to run again because I used to love to run. I used to run. I used to always say, mile a day, keep the fat away. And I used to try to run a mile a day. Now I'm into biking because I like that's the only way I can get my cardio because I can't stand still or get on a treadmill or elliptical too long because I got to go, I got to move. But it's a new normal. It's not easy when you understand that you was built for speed and you was built for certain things and you can't do that no more. You, you, you have no idea how much that hurt. And uh, see, I'm, you got to understand. 
when I talk, I see things. I can see the scenes when I talk. That, that's the gift that God gave me. I can see everything when I'm talking. And to, to look back and to be in that hospital for darn near a month and couldn't move. And uh, then when I got out, they had to carry me into the car, carry me in the house. They had to build ramps up my house and in the bathroom. I had to have rails on my bathroom. Somebody had to take me in the bathroom, bring me out of the bathroom, put me in the bed, wow. get me out of the bed. You Do you understand for a guy that was the prided himself on being in shape and, and being dominant at every darn thing for someone to carry you, man. Woo, help me, Lord. You have no idea, like mentally, what I went through that season. Then my son, uh, Shallow came quite a bit, but Shador was there about every day. And I could see Every game Shador ever played in his life, Shallow as well, but he went to South Carolina for a year. Mm -hmm. I coached him. I had never been away from him, coaching him, being on the sideline. So I'm watching the games and I'm seeing 74% completion percentage, 72, 70, 68. And he said, Dad, I need you. He said, Dad, I need you. I need you back. I said, okay, I'll be there. And I reconciled in my mind right there, I'm going to the game at Southern. And regardless how it looked, I'm in a big old wheelchair, man, you know, remote control, and it was about 40 degrees out there. And I probably had lost 30, 40 pounds. And uh, that was tough. But he said he needed me. And any parent out there, if your child say, I need you, you're going to break your neck to be there. Forget my health. I had to be there. And when you know it, we were down in the fourth quarter. And he marched us down the field through the game-winning touchdown. And I look at the scoreboard, and I had 21 up there. Then I look back. They're driving down. They throw a deep ball. Shallow picks it off. So it was 21, 2, and 21. I just said, Lord, I thank you. Because it was just something I had to see. I had to be there to witness that moment. And that moment meant everything to me. That was a moment that, forget Super Bowl, World Series, forget anything. That moment right there. Hold up. Limitless. They can see me in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, only vision I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. They can see me in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the